Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father, we, uh, we just thank you that you have saved us, that we who are geographically about as far from Israel as it feels like we could possibly get, that you would save us, that the gospel would have reached even here. And Lord, we know that there are still so many places that the gospel hasn't reached and Lord, we, we join with the, what we just sang out of Psalm 67, that let the nations be glad. And Lord, the only way the nations can be glad is through knowing you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so God, it is our desire that gladness, as we just sang about, would reach the inner parts of North Korea and Afghanistan and Somalia. That it would reach the inner hallways of the high school across the street and that it would go into the households of our next door neighbors. And Lord, that God, would you cause us to live in the gladness of adopted children of God. That we were far off. That we were hostile towards you. We were children of wrath following the prince of power of the air. And you made us alive together in Christ, seated us in the heavenly places. And by grace you've done this. And you've given us each other as brothers and sisters. Lord, would you, could we live in this gladness? Lord, we celebrate what you have done. Help us now as we open your word. May this time be profitable for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who don't know, the reason you get drowsy, one of the reasons you get drowsy every Thanksgiving is due to the amino acid tryptophan, which is found in Turkey. This is commonly blamed for your best nap of the year coming on Thanksgiving, although overeating in general probably has a little bit to do with it. And then just the, the overall joy that falls on people when football is on TV. There's a whole bunch of Americans that know that tryptophan is in Turkey because of science. And I would argue that there's potentially more Americans that know that tryptophan is in Turkey because of Seinfeld. Because the greatest episode ever of Seinfeld had at its center tryptophan. Here was the plot. Jerry had a girlfriend, which is almost every episode. And that girlfriend had inherited a vast and impeccable mint condition toy collection from her dad. And it was all the toys that Jerry had grown up playing with. And so Jerry goes to her apartment, sees all these toys, goes to touch one on the shelf, and is immediately, no, 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 no. Because with collectibles, if you touch them, they lose their value. So Jerry tells George about this problem that all he wants to do, he really doesn't even care about the girl. He just wants to play with the toys on her shelf. Uh, maybe the most wholesome way of using a person but that's for another discussion. Um, so George and Jerry hatch a plan to feed her a large turkey dinner with 
bountiful cups of red wine so that she will fall asleep, and it works. And throughout the episode, they get her to fall asleep due to tryptophan and wine, and they play with the toys. And it's, it's great. It is one of the best episodes. And there's this part of the collectibles community that I don't understand. And, and it, this goes from, from memorabilia to cars to toys to comic books. And, and, and here's what I don't understand, and here's the process. There's something the collector greatly desires. And it, 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 their desire is, it becomes a consuming desire, so much so that they pursue this item and this object, they chase after it, they finally find it, whether it's in a, a junkyard or a novelty store at a flea market or the internet version of all those combined called eBay, and they find their object, they buy it, they, they sometimes spending tons of money to purchase this, especially compared to what it was originally worth, and then after buying this thing, they've pined after and researched and studied and found they do nothing with it. They put it in a display case, in a garage, on a shelf. They keep it in its original packaging, and they just do this. That's all. And I don't understand that. They never use it in a practical way for how it was used. They never really get to enjoy it. Here's, here's the pivot, in case you're wondering where in the world this is going. <laughs> God desired you. He sought you out. He purchased you with the blood of his son shed on the cross, and he saved you to bring you into a church where you could be safe from any of the world's dust. No. He refuses to put you in a display case. I want to break this down through the core values we've been discussing that we're wrapping up this morning. God, in his infinite pre-existent glory, spoke creation into existence with the, with, with the plan of redemption through the cross of Christ. In his infinite holiness, he saw us who were fallen, rebelling against him constantly, both by nature and choice, us who were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. By his grace, he desired you, per pursued you, and purchased you through the blood of Christ. And he gathers together his people, calling us to gather together so that we can, to one another, declare the value that God has placed on us to one another. We do this through the one another's. We bear with one another in love because God has loved this person so much he saved them from their sin. We serve one another. We're zealous for one another. We love one another, all because of what God has done for us. We constantly retell the gospel to each other through preaching the word, through, through acts of service, and through communion, which we took last week, proclaiming the death of Christ for us so we remember that his body was broken, his blood was spilled out, initiating a new conversation, and then we gather together so we can hide from the world around us. No. Church is not a bomb shelter, although our basement kind of looks like one. God commands us then to leave the display case. 
In his glory, he determines value. In his grace, he pursues and purchases that which is value. In gathering, he brings together his collection, and then he sends out his collection. He uses us. All of this, God's supreme glory, his magnificent grace, his calling of us together to gather is purposed to make his glory and grace known so that more adopted children of God can find out about God's adoption, can gather together, and can grow. And so, we get to our last core value, we go. We are saved and sent to go make disciples of Jesus locally and globally. We are saved and sent to go make disciples of Jesus locally and globally. There are two common verses that come to mind when we think of going, and it's, it's two of the commissions of Christ. First one is, is Matthew 28, 18 and 20, which I know many of you can recite. Jesus came to them. He has the disciples gathered on the mountain. They're worshiping, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, or teaching them to obey, Everything I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's one of the commissions we think of. Another common one, probably the most second common commission we think of is Acts 1.8, where the disciples have gathered together. Jesus is being, getting ready to be taken up into the clouds by the angels. Uh, the disciples still don't get it. They're like, all right, it, it, now is Israel going to become the political superpower it's always been meant to be? And Jesus is like... In, in the most divine way possible, says, you idiots. Um, no, he doesn't say that, but I know I certainly would have. Um, he says, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons the Father is fixed for, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the question is, as we are here this morning looking at go, is who are these commands for? And these are commands, these are instructions. Who are they for? While they were originally given to the disciples, I argue that they were recorded for us and for everyone who's come after the disciples, whether it's before us or after us until Christ returns. They were they were originally given to the disciples, are recorded for us as commandments and instructions that we need to abide by. These were not specifically given to the disciples only. You know, I think of like Moses is told to take the tablets down to the people. That's, that's an instruction only Moses can abide by. And once he did it, that commandment was fulfilled. But if these commissions were intended only for the disciples, then, then one of two things are going on here. One, the disciples completely failed. Because they thought Spain was the furthest away. They, they didn't even get to Missouri. And two, we're wasting our time. If this was only meant for the disciples, then what we are doing and what we are talking about this morning is a complete waste of time, and we don't need to hire Adam at all. So I'll let you think what Adam's thoughts are on that. Um, 
And so I, I want us to adjust our thinking on these two verses, on these two commissions. Because commonly, we think of these as, there's a, I'm thinking of a word that starts with M and ends with Ishans. We think of these as missions verses. And these are the verses that we, you know, when, when our global partners come back, like they'll talk about these or we, we want them to talk about them. And we think of these as missions verses for missions churches. Here's the thing, though. Missions is, is really a very specific term that we've made in our common vernacular unbelievably broad. And so when we think of missions here at Westchester, we think of getting the gospel to where it is not at all, where there's, there's places where the, the Bible is not in their language, where there's 2% of the local population, 2% or less of the local population actually knows Christ. When we think of missions, we think of going to those places. We have global partners. Some of them are doing that specifically. Some are doing other. We are, we are increasingly targeting the unreached, unengaged people groups of the world. And so I want us to not think of these verses as missions verses. There's an author named Bob Roberts who wrote a book called Transformed, and he really takes exception with the, terms, the term mission-minded churches. He says we shouldn't be mission-minded churches. We should be kingdom-engaged churches. And these are kingdom engagement passages. They're not missions passages. They're kingdom of God passages. After Easter, we're going to get back into the gospel of Mark, where Jesus' first sermon was the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was bringing in the kingdom. That The kingdom is still coming. It's already here. It's not here in full. We need to bring the kingdom of God, the knowledge that Jesus Christ is king, that God sits on the throne, and one day he'll judge all, and that we need to be covered by the blood of Christ in order to survive that judgment. And through the blood of Christ, we not only survive the judgment, but we become children of God, co-heirs with Christ. It's pretty good news. But that we would not think of this as, as a missions passage, but a, a kingdom engagement passages. And that we would think of ourselves not as missions people, but kingdom engagement people. That we would do the work that, that Jesus commanded in Matthew 28. Where a lot of times we read Matthew 28, and here's how we make that a missions passage. We see the word go, we see all nations, and we just go crazy with missions when we see every, every ethne, ponte ethne. But... The, the imperative of the passage is not the go. The go is actually pretty passive. It's more of a as you go. The imperative of the passage is make disciples that we would be in our homes, in our communities, in our church, that we would be making disciples and teaching them to obey Christ. That as citizens of the kingdom, we are ambassadors and heralds of the kingdom, we are actively sharing and, or announcing the truth while also caring for the marginalized, bringing justice to the oppressed. We are engaged with the kingdom. Think of it this way. As citizens of heaven, we are conducting the business of home while we wait to one day go there.
So what does it mean that we be kingdom engaged? What do these two passages say more about it? And I'm gonna, now we're going to shift a little more to Acts 1.8 with having Matthew 28 in our mind. That being kingdom engaged means that we are witnesses where we are. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Being witnesses where we are means, first of all, that we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus had told them, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait for me there. You're going to wait for the Holy Spirit there. So they're, Jerusalem, it's not that they're doing a mission trip from the countryside to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where they already are. Go there and wait. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give you power and you will do this. So submit to the work and power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether it's teaching, exhorting, mercy. Think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think about these things. Which, which gift of the Spirit, which fruit of the Spirit is meant for you and you alone? I think we've listed them all. None of them are. They're meant for us to go. They're meant for us to go to each other. They're meant for us to go out to our neighbors, to our community. So as we submit to the work of the Spirit, we are naturally going to be going. And, we, and, and it's not going to be us who's doing the important work. Yesterday at the Q&A, one thing I heard Adam say more than once is it's the, the Holy Spirit's the one doing the work. It's easy for us because he's doing all the heavy lifting. And so we submit to the Spirit, and then we start where we are and go where we'd rather not. Let's think about Jerusalem for the disciples. This is a freaky place to be. You remember when Jesus visited the disciples in Jerusalem? How did he get in the room? He had to, he had to do like this weird force thing and walk through the wall because they locked him out. They were terrified. Jerusalem had a bad reputation. It's where the prophets went to die. This is a place of steep hills to climb evangelistically with a lot of persecution. But it was also exactly where they were. Their call to being witnesses to Christ didn't start with a short-term mission trip. It started with going outside. And it was not always pleasant. We should not rush to what we feel is safe and desirable. These men were afraid of Jerusalem. They would have much rather been going to their hometowns, to their small villages. Peter would have much rather had a discipleship community among other fishermen than being held in the prisons of Herod. And they also go from Jerusalem the big city that seems desirable but really isn't that safe, to the region, Judea, and even to Samaria, the places they would rather overlook. I find it really interesting how many church planters look at the Des Moines metro area and see just this great gospel chasm in the suburbs. And they say, oh, 
There's, there's 18 other church plants going into Waukee. How will the gospel ever get there? We better put one in. There's 25 churches going into Ankeny and Johnston. How will the people ever hear the gospel? We better go. Clearly, East Des Moines and South Des Moines and North Des Moines are doing great. The urban core is ripe with the fruit of the gospel. No need to go there. If you are not picking up on my cynicism, this may not be the church for you. <laughs> may we all be called the plant in Honolulu, right? There is a massively overlooked part of our city. And for a whole variety of reasons, the gospel isn't going there. Two and a half years ago, when we began our mother-daughter relationship with Highland Park Community Church, I remember I'd forgotten about this until this week as I was looking at this passage. Pastor Philip thanking us for partnering with Samaria for being willing to go to Samaria and be a part of the ministry in one of the Samarias of our city. And I invite you to join in with, with WizKids on, on Monday nights. Uh, I just, I'm just going to ask real quick, if you, if you regularly or somewhat regularly go to WizKids on Monday nights at Highland Park, or it's at Madison Elementary, but with Pastor Phil, could you just raise your hand real quick, keep them up? If you're wanting to know more about this ministry, find one of those hands and join them. Go take a Sunday and worship at Highland Park. Stay for their education. They start at 9 a.m. Get to know them. Find ways we can pray for and partner with and be involved in the work there. So there's, there's starting where you are, going where you'd rather not, and then there's resting just in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes we look at this and we freak out. Can we, like if we're going to confess that God said let there be light and light obeyed him, that if he's going to command us to go bear witnesses, that maybe he has that under control. That maybe God isn't saying go bear witnesses, but, but you, like you just have zero social skills, so why don't you just stay inside? That verse is not found in the Bible. But you are not part of the pancake team, so you have no responsibility in telling people of the love of Jesus. Again, it's not in the Bible. Rest in the sovereignty of God. This is his command. This is his plan. He doesn't have a plan B for disciple making. And there's no better place to be than right in the thick of God's work and right in the thick of God's will. And can we just simplify God's will for our lives? There are some of you who are like fasting on what kind of bread you should buy at the grocery store. Like, I just don't know what God's will for me is, if it's like whole grain, or like the tasty oats on top, or if I should expedite my trip to heaven and get Wonder Bread. Like you're just, you're really <laughs> battling that. I'm just telling you, just simplify that and start with basic obedience. He desires that none should perish. Jesus has said the great, second greatest commandment in the Bible is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Another, another phrase I heard Adam saying yesterday is, just share what you know about God. And as you grow in the Lord, that knowledge is going to increase. But just start, if you only know John 3.16, share John 3.16. So I want to ask you, let's, let's look at some areas of our life that normally we don't think of in the, in the scope of God's will for us, in the scope of God's call for us to be a witness. Did God give you a particular set of skills for his purposes? I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I've been in Bible studies. No, let me, let me state this again. Did God give you skills that have gotten you in the marketplace to give you access to people that I as a pastor don't have access to for the sake of the gospel? Did God make you an accountant so you can reach accountants? Did God put you somewhere in the vast universe of insurance in our city so that you could reach into that for the gospel? Does God know your address, do you think? Do you think God knows the people in the house next door to you and across the street from you? Is it possible that God in his sovereignty put you there and put them there for his purposes? Is it possible that God, in 1968, 1969, 1970, led a group of people from Highland Park Evangelical Free Church to buy this property and build this church across the street from that school for his purposes? So many times we look at whether it's, man, if I start, if I start sharing my faith, there's, it's just going to be a whole deal with HR. Uh, my, my house might get egged. Uh, it's a public school. It's hard to get into. God is sovereign enough that he created the land that that sits on. The house, your office, the school, our church. He created all of this. It's all his. All you're doing is walking somewhere your father has made. Let him worry about the access. He created the ground you're walking into. It's his to give. So are you willing to let people know that you find God to be wonderful? This is why we start with his glory. When we captivate ourselves with God's glory and we set the indescribable beauty of God steadfastly and firmly in front of us, he becomes a whole lot easier to talk about. This isn't about guilting us into awkwardly sharing a track with five-point font so it can fit a whole bunch of verses in King James on like a quarter piece of paper. It's just about knowing God and enjoying God and worshiping Him, not just in song, but in the conversations you have with who you're speaking with at the time. Say out loud the verses that have convicted you of sin, that have led you to joy in finding forgiveness from that sin, that have given you newness of life. Let the Spirit of God do the rest of the work. Being kingdom engaged means we are witnesses where we are, and it means that we are to get a witness where there are none. We need to get witnesses where there are currently no witnesses. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, okay, Chuck's doing like the global pivot here, and we're just going to hear about the ends of the earth. I want you to know that this definitely has local implications. I don't know the exact number, but I'm just going to say there's too many strip clubs in our town. 
There are ministries where women go in and share the love of Christ with the entertainers before they go to work and they get access to share the gospel. There are godless circles of our community. There are godless circles within the school across the street. There are people all over our city that think they need to offer sacrifices to spirits to appease them so their day can go well and so their kids won't have nightmares at night. There are godless circles everywhere. So we go local. We welcome those who come, whether that's through our loving the sojourner ministry or, or by befriending an ethnic restaurant owner and, and gaining access to talk about Jesus with them. We don't isolate or hide, but it, it definitely has, and, and you were right if you thought this was my global pivot, here it is. There is a global mandate that we absolutely have to recognize God's heart. That right after God essentially created the nations in Genesis 11 through the Tower of Babel, that he then immediately in Genesis 12 promises an offspring of Abram who, through whom all the nations will be blessed. He immediately has a plan for blessing all the nations. Just, we don't know what the time period is, but the next page after he creates the nations. It's the purpose of Israel's obedience is that the world would know, the nations would know there's a God in Israel. Not for them to be better than the nations, not for them to conquer, not for them to have absolute military power, but for the nations to know about their God. That was the whole purpose. We just sang earlier, Psalm 67.4, let the nations be glad, let the whole earth rejoice. That they would know our God. And then we come to Christ's command, which we, we read out of Matthew 28, that, there would, that we would make disciples of every ethne, every ethnicity. We have this passage in Acts that we would not end at Samaria, but we would go to the end of the earth. And we have a glimpse of the fulfillment in Revelation where every tongue, tribe, and nation is gathered around the throne praising the worthiness of Jesus. And so we send. We are unapologetic at this church that we want to send people out. We want to convict you of the need. We want to pray for you. We want to build you up. And we want to help finance you going to the ends of the earth. That we go. Again, I want to ask, what job skills has God given you? Some of you are phenomenal in an office place. And because of your background, because of your secular degree, you are uniquely able to go to countries I could never get into because I went to a seminary like a moron. Did God make you a fill in the blank with your career so that you could do that career overseas and participate in church planting among a people group. It's, it's really interesting here in Acts. And I think if we dig deep enough, without too much trouble in Matthew 28, we find the same thing, that the local and the global are not completely separate. 
that they feed into each other, that they build to one another. I remember being 16 years old in Venezuela on my first short-term mission trip. And our last day of that trip, we were having our youth pastors told us all to go have our quiet times, and then the last day was really just shopping. Because what's a short-term missions trip without a heavy dose of tourism? And um, that day, God just broke my heart for my high school. How could I share the gospel and be burdened this much for people in Caracas and not care about the person who sits across the aisle from me in math? How can we be so heavily vested financially in the global work of Christ and not have a burden for our neighbors? And how can we have a burden for our neighbors and not realize that a lot of our neighbors come from all over the world and there's a desperate need for the gospel in Myanmar, in in all over Southeast Asia, in Africa, in Eastern Europe? How could we not realize that? Bob Roberts, in his book Transformation, coins a term he calls glocal, that we would be global and local as believers. Finally, we we are kingdom engaged, and being kingdom engaged not only means that we are witnesses where we are, that we are getting witnesses where there are none, but that we advance through faith. It also means we advance through faith. Basically, that we would believe the promises of God And there's a whole lot we could apply here. We could apply that the the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, that the word of God never returns void. We could uh, could cite the promises of of how the the prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. We could could talk about the armor of God, but I want to really focus us on two. And the first is the promise that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. That Matthew 28 doesn't end with, go teach them to be obedient and I'll be waiting. It's go teach them to obey every commandment and I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus made a promise with this commission that he is with us to the end of the age. This means that as we, whether we are going across the room, going across the street, going across the globe, that the Savior of the world is with you. More Pentecostal church would have said amen there, not to judge. (laughs) But that's a big deal. And maybe you, you go into your office building, if you're going back to your office building, and you are terrified to talk about Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, maybe you just set a reminder on your phone. If you're walking in the building at, at, at 8 o'clock that this reminder is going off, at 7.45, right before you get in the car, because everything takes 15 minutes to drive in Des Moines, that you would get a reminder on your phone and it would just say this daily reminder on your phone, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. The other promise of God that we carry with us, not just that that Christ is adequately and, and, and rightly named Emmanuel, but that Jesus is the name above every name. That he is powerful. That there's no other name aside from Jesus, by which men can be saved. What a powerful name. You are not going in 
to a, a job that requires a bulldozer with a hand drill. You are going in with the name of Christ. And with that name of Christ, with the power of his name, we know how this ends. This ends with at the name of Christ, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, bowing and every single tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know the end of it. We know the power, we know the result, and we know the worthiness of Jesus. Last week, as Pastor Austin was challenging us about gathering and prioritizing our weekends, he just asked a simple question towards the beginning of his message. Is Jesus worthy of, of coming here and being part of a local fellowship, of being held accountable, of, of having other people help you walk in obedience? Is Jesus worthy of this? And I'll just ask, is, is he worthy of you laying aside your fear? of your concerns and your insecurities? Is he worthy of any ridicule that you will receive as you proclaim his name? And the answer is obvious. He is worthy. He is worthy of us laying aside an unbiblical cultural dream to go and send. He is worthy of being made fun of as the weird Jesus freak in your workplace. He is worthy of all of it. And whether that's getting pushback or seeing the fruit of the gospel from your neighbors or to a UP, an unreached people group in Central Asia, he's worthy of their praise as well. None of our effort for the gospel is wasted. best way I've found in my life to, to live for the worthiness of Christ is to live in gratitude for what he's done for me. And so if you're struggling, you're like, you know, I, I've grown up with this. I believe this. I just, it's, it's just so hard. Like the, 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 the danger or the pressure is just seems so in my face and so far removed from Sunday morning when we were worshiping and we're raising hands or we're doing like the Midwestern thing of just praising God like this. Would you just grow in daily gratitude for Christ? He has made you his child. The Lord through Christ would make you his child. Would you grow in daily gratitude of that and let the worthiness just bubble up? Let us pray. Father, you are so good. Christ, you are so worthy. And even as we have, have spouted many times when thinking of overseas work that may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering, Lord, we pray for that in our neighborhood. Would you, Christ, receive the reward of your suffering across the street? my neighbor's house, in the urban core of our city, at Highland Park Community Church, would you receive the reward of your suffering, be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.